On the 3rd of February 1960, a pivotal speech was made to the Parliament of South Africa in Cape Town. After a month in Africa visiting British colonies, Prime Minister Harold Macmillan began to signal the British government's intention to grant independence to many of their overseas territories. As a result, in the early 1960s, most went on to become independent nations in their own right. Countries like Tanganyika, Uganda, Kenya. The speech went down in history and is famous for one particular line. Howard Macmillan said, The wind of change is blowing through this continent. Whether we like it or not, it is a political fact. It became known by historians as the wind of change speech. And some of you here today may well remember it or have studied it. But although the people of these new nations were delighted, there definitely were some people who did not like the change. The British government wanted to encourage the new black African states, the white European settlers, particularly those of South Africa who were running with apartheid, could not possibly agree. When Howard Macmillan finished his speech, there was a stony silence in the room. And then the shocked South African Prime Minister jumped to his feet and replied to Macmillan, There must not only be justice for the black man in Africa, but also for the white man. This utterly dismissive response to the wind of change pushed South Africa out into the cold for 30 years until apartheid finally crumbled in the early 1990s. The winds of change were certainly blowing and they were incredibly unsettling. New people groups and new nations were coming to birth and they were rejoicing. But those whose power was being challenged reacted with anger and defiance. As Jesus met with Nicodemus in John 3, the situation was very similar. Again, the wind of change was blowing. A new people group was coming to birth and those in power did not like it one little bit. Nicodemus was a leading Jew. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council and therefore he was a great thinker and teacher in the land. <coughs> Nicodemus knew a good deal about the importance of nation states and being born in the right one. Jews believed that at the end of the age, the kingdom of God would come and Nicodemus would have taught regularly that any Jew who kept the law would be freely admitted to it. What counted back then was that you were born in the family of Abraham. Ultimately, nothing else mattered. If you were born a Jew and used the sacrifices to cover up your mistakes, you would enter the kingdom of God. This was the Jewish worldview. But Nicodemus is in for a terrible shock as the wind of change begins to blow. If you want a picture, Nicodemus was like a man who, who lived in a house with everything tidy and labelled and, and sorted into nice little piles. 
But suddenly the window opens and a great gust of wind blows in and all of his neat ordered life is about to be blown into chaos. All of his tidy theology and all of his prized traditions are about to be turned upside down in the most inconvenient of ways. Jesus here unleashes the wind of change and he cuts across many of the things that Nicodemus would have once held dear. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This is so radical. We need to really make sure we catch the implication of what Jesus is saying. He is saying that God is starting a new extended family, a new people. Ordinary human birth into the family of Abraham, a family upholding the old Jewish ways of life, is no longer enough. Through Jesus, a new people are emerging and to enter, you must be born again. Born from above. When Jesus says in both verse 3 and verse 7 that people must be born again, he uses a very clever wordplay. The word translated again here can mean both a second time and from above. And Jesus wants to pick up on both of those meanings at the same time. To enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born a second time. In other words, an event supplementary to your human birth. What country you're born into no longer counts. But also to enter the kingdom, that birth must come from above. In other words, you must be born of God by his work and initiative This is not a birth that you can bring about on your own. Membership in God's new extended family is a gift. A gift of grace alone. A gift we receive from above. From God himself. This theme is very important to John. In the prologue to his gospel, which we read during Advent, where all the major themes of his gospel are introduced, he inserted this teaching exactly Verses 12 to 13 of chapter 1 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is monumental stuff. Not just a wind of change. This is a whole hurricane of change. The doors of the Jewish world have just been blown off their hinges. God's kingdom has been thrown open much, much wider. The Jews no longer have control over who is in and who is out. God has brought a new nation to be. And just as in Africa in the 1960s, Those of us who find ourselves in this new people, there's great rejoicing at what God has done. We are in the promised kingdom of God. We here on Isla today are beneficiaries of this. But those trying to maintain the old way of life, the first century equivalents to those men propping up the apartheid regime, they begin to sense their loss, their loss of power and control. And they begin to fight against it. 
And it's this challenge to power that leads the Jewish leaders ultimately to see Jesus as a threat. And eventually they will have him killed. However, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because Nicodemus, although he is a Jewish leader, to his great credit, is also a thinker. And having heard some of what Jesus said, he wants to know more. He doesn't dismiss it outright. He comes to Jesus in the dead of night when none of his colleagues can see him and begins to ask his questions. Nicodemus wants to know more on how this new birth comes about. Jesus now makes it absolutely clear where this new birth comes from. This new birth is not another human birth, because we all know that we can't re-enter into our mother's wombs. No, this birth is a birth of the Holy Spirit, a birth from above. This is what Jesus says in response to Nicodemus's question, how does this happen? Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now, at first listening, that's a pretty complicated answer, isn't it? What on earth does it mean to be born of water and the spirit? That sounds very strange to our ears. But in the first century, Jesus' imagery would have been clear because Jesus is talking about baptism, a double baptism. To be born of water is a way of referring to the baptism given by John the Baptist. Remember, John came to baptise the people when they repented of their sin. The people came out into the desert to meet him, and once they confessed their wrongdoing, he washed them in water, a great symbol that on repentance their sins were washed away. Yet John the Baptist himself had foreseen and prophesied about one who would come after him. One who wouldn't just baptise with water, but with the Holy Spirit as well. Here then is the very new thing that Jesus brings. With Jesus, if you repent and confess your sin, you are forgiven. But then the Holy Spirit pours into your life, creating a whole new life that bubbles up from within you. And it's in this way that you needed both water and spirit. All human beings need to repent and confess their sin. Then on choosing to follow Jesus, symbolised in baptism, the spirit comes into them, bringing them a brand new life, a spring of fresh water welling up inside of them. This is a dynamic, this is a, a powerful moment, a new birth where the old is clothed with the new. In many ways, it's a double baptism, a double new birth. Through baptism, you enter into the community of God's people. But through baptism, you also enter into the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is at pains to point out in this conversation with Nicodemus is that this is true 
not just for Jews, but for anyone who repents and follows Jesus. This new birth is available to us all. The question is, why? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit, who brings this new birth about, is utterly sovereign and utterly uncontainable. Jesus says the Spirit is like a wind. A wind that cannot be nailed down or boxed up. The wind blows wherever it pleases. It's constantly on the move. It cannot be stopped. The Spirit flows through the land and the Spirit flows throughout the world. And it can enter any heart. The heart of a Jew or a Gentile. The heart of a male or a female. The heart of an old person or a young person. A black person or a white person. A slave or a free The Holy Spirit is sovereign. The Holy Spirit longs to create new life. And therefore, when anybody repents and anybody takes that step of believing in Jesus' name, the Spirit is there. And the Spirit gives them new birth. Again, just sense how radical what Jesus is saying is. This is world-changing stuff. The kingdom of God is no longer the locked down (coughs) private property of the Jews. It's been set free. It's no longer owned by any particular religious title or any particular denomination or any other mark of human ownership that you can think of. The kingdom of God has been thrown open to anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus. He has died for all and the spirit is there with anyone who chooses to believe in him. Listen again to the words of John 1, which I read a moment ago. To all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now clearly Nicodemus is going to struggle with this. All of his teaching, all of his beliefs, all the things that he thought are being challenged here. All of the power that he had controlling the boundaries of the Jewish way of life is being stripped away from underneath him. As I said a moment ago, most Jewish power figures of the time would want Jesus dead for this teaching. But to Nicodemus' great, great credit, he continues to stay around. He continues to ask more questions. He wants to know. And now he wants to know, well, if Jesus is saying the kingdom is available to all, how can this possibly be? How can it be so freely available to anybody who chooses it? (coughs) In the Old Testament book of Numbers, there is one of the Jews' favourite stories. It comes in Numbers 21. In that story, the people had sinned really badly. And as a result, venomous snakes had been sent. They bit the people and led to many of the people's deaths. As the people experienced this judgment of God, they cried out to him. They confessed their sin and God heard and God answered. He spoke to Moses and he's asked Moses to cast a bronze snake 
and hold it high upon a pole. And whoever looked up to the pole was healed. Nicodemus would have known this story very well. Well, now listen to how Jesus uses it. He too will be held up high upon a whole pole, high above the ground. And through this act, anyone, anyone who looks at him would find forgiveness and would find the healing that they need. How is the kingdom opened up to so many? Because of what Jesus will achieve on the cross. And of course, here now comes that verse that we've cherished, that we've memorized, that many of us know off by heart, back to front. This is the setting for it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. As Nicodemus heard Jesus say that, the key word is the word whoever. Whoever believes in Jesus, whoever looks up to him like the Israelites had looked up to the snake, they will be forgiven. They will be healed. The reason that access to the kingdom of God has become so freely available is because Jesus laid down his life. Because his sacrifice so completely covers our sin. It's because of the cross that new birth is on offer to anyone and everyone. The passage does end with a note of clarification. Just because the doors of the kingdom have been flung wide and new birth is now available to all people, it doesn't mean that it's universal. Oh no. It doesn't mean that somehow belonging to God's people becomes so diluted of meaning you never really know whether you're in or out or not or wherever you are. This is something that people like Nicodemus would have been fearing. Jesus finishes by saying something important. Some people will accept this gift of God. Some people will turn it down. And you will know whether you've had a new birth or not, because it will change the way your whole life is seen. This is verses 19 to 21. This is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. They won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have been done has been done in the sight of God. In other words, people will see from your deeds, they will see from the quality of your life, whether you've had a new birth or not. They will see it in our words and our actions. Let me put it this way for a moment. I don't need to show you my birth certificate to prove to you that one day in the past I was born, do I? You know you see me alive today, and you know without doubt that at some point in the past, I was born. Well, neither do we have to have a spiritual birth certificate to prove that we were born again. Because people should see it alive in us. They should see in us the consequences, the fruit of what happened one day 
in the past. Jesus says our lives will show plainly whether we're coming to the light or not. So yes, the kingdom of God has been open to everyone, but not everyone accepts it. And if you're wondering whether you have or not, look at your life. Is it a light of life, a light, or is it a life of darkness? There our passage ends and we pause to draw our thoughts together. <coughs> what is it that we're to take away for our lives here on Isla? Well, first of all, we've learned something very important about Jesus, who he is and why he came. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, as God's son, came to save us. To save us from sin and death. Jesus came to bring life, eternal life, life to the full. Jesus came to open the way to the kingdom of God. Truly, if we look to him, confess our sin, believe in the cross and resurrection, we will be born again. We will start a new life following his words and actions. This is truly wonderful news. And I know for most people in this room, this is something We've already experienced. But we also have learned in this passage something important about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's wind of change blowing through the world. A wind that blows wherever it pleases. The Spirit is sovereign. There's nobody anywhere beyond the Spirit's reach. There's nobody anywhere who, if they see Jesus and repent, will not have the Spirit fill their lives. There is nothing that can stop the Spirit's work in someone's heart. For those who accept this truth and receive the Spirit, there's cause for great rejoicing. But for those who try to block the Spirit or defiantly hold him back from some who need him, well, like the apartheid regime, eventually they'll just be blown over. The message of this passage is that the wind of change is blowing and there's now hope for everyone. And as a church, our job is to pray and to work to let people know. But if we ever go back to thinking that we control <coughs> who's in and out, be prepared for God to blow the doors off again. Because no one is beyond the reach of the Spirit. And that should stop all of our prejudices, all of our stereotypes. It should give us hope for even those people we think are beyond the pale. Jesus has died and risen again. The wind of the Spirit is freely blowing. There's hope for new birth for all. So let's keep praying, even for those we've been praying for for a very long time.